Welcome back to yet another episode of Wet and Dry, the kayaking podcast. Today, I'm reporting kind of hushed away in the corner of Jolly Boy Zambia in the cleaning area because all the rooms are booked out and this is the only way to do it. But I have high hopes this is going to work out just fine. Currently, Bren is on the way down to the Futa de Fu in Chile, so he won't join for this one. Hence, I thought I was going to use the time and talk about some of the most asked questions we have been getting on our social. Um, I think it's quite cool to answer these and talk about those topics and yeah, give some insights into our lives. One of the most asked questions was what the, the steps would be to progress from a class 4 kayaker into like a class 5 kayaker uh, in order to really run most of the hard runs worldwide. And I think that's a very crucial question. Everybody is going to get to that point sooner or later if they want to push kayaking and move forwards. Um, for me, it's always been kind of the playful approach. So I strongly believe that going kayaking on class 4 runs and trying to make it harder by either choosing harder lines, going for different moves, swapping out boat designs and taking maybe a half slice rather than a full-size creek boat, all these things in order to constantly challenge yourself, in order to step your game up and basically trying to find class 5 moves in a class 4 river is what ultimately is going to enable you to go kayaking on a class 5 run and feel fine out there. It's definitely something where you don't want to jump the steps too quickly and feel like you're not in your comfort zone slash overwhelmed when it's coming to paddling class 5 for the first time because class 5 is defined by just higher consequences and bigger risks. So it's not something to try to get super fast into. Might as well take your time and make sure you build your basics before trying to hop on class 5. Saying that, nowadays with tools like learning from YouTube and these innovative new boat designs, it's easier than ever to become a class 5 kayaker. Which also brings me to my next point. I believe there is an incredible amount of knowledge out there purely based on videos and especially on POV. I have a strong belief that pretty much every single extreme sport had a giant leap of progress since GoPro and POV cameras became like a mainstream thing. Just because now all of a sudden you could literally feel like somebody else doing the sport you do, but on a totally different level. Um, I remember first in 2013 when Rush Sturges and Evan Garcia were posting POE of the Little White, for example, and all of a sudden I could see which strokes they were placing, where and why, how they were maneuvering their boats with even the smallest details because POV just really enabled us to, to watch it over and over again analyze every single frame and just learn from these guys. But it's not only about learning from other people, it's also filming your own kayaking and then going back after your lap, sitting down on your computer or even on your phone and re-watching your footage, trying to figure out what went right, what went wrong, what you can improve on the next lap and then going back out again and really working on these things. Um, it's sometimes really hard to know what exactly is going on and breaking down your mistakes and knowing why something went wrong and why it went right. But having POV and having GoPro, it's so handy because you can literally freeze, freeze frame every single picture, analyze what's going on, and then take your learnings out of that. So I can highly, highly encourage to just take your GoPro as much as possible, just film your kayaking and then go for it and then learn. And let me tell you, all of the good kayakers are doing it. Um, there's so much raw GoPro footage watching going on, it's wild, but that's the only way how to learn or not the only way but it's a great way and a great tool to progress no matter how much of a good or really good kayaker you are 
also especially stepping up your game from class 4 to class 5, what comes more and more into play is a crew to run around with. Um, it's something to go paddle class 4 with people you don't know and it's usually fine. But when you're trying to paddle the hardest rivers out there, it's very, very important that you have a crew that one, you know, and two, you trust. Um, because these people are the only people out there who can help you if things were to go wrong. And it's also mentally a huge difference if you feel comfortable in your group and you push each other in a positive way. Or if you're having trust issues and you can't really, you know, rely on the people you're paddling with, uh, it makes a night and day difference. So if you can find some people around in your area who's who are keen to do the same, trying to push each other, learn from each other and got each other's backs. It's make it's making all the difference. And it's definitely also something which enabled all of us to really push kayaking that much because we luckily found our group of sand where everybody had the same goal and the same ambition. And uh, it just matched perfectly. So yeah, in conclusion, making the leap from class four to class five is a big step physically and mentally training off the water all of a sudden becomes more important than ever making sure you're mentally strong to expose yourself to these risks and consequences on the river and not crack under pressure is also something but that's also definitely coming through experience and just exposing yourself to these type of situations take your time enjoy the process really try to switch it up with the type of kayak you're using and uh, always try to find like a new a harder challenge on the river if that means taking a, an eddy in between somewhere, like a last minute eddy, if that means going for a different line, if that means throwing, throwing in some down river freestyle, whatever it is, just try to constantly challenge yourself and find challenges in well-known locations you know perfectly because that's ultimately what's going to give you the confidence to step it up and run class five. This question also kind of leads into the next one. Um, I was surprised how many people texted us this, but... One of the bigger questions was which style of boats for what rivers would be good and bad and why? Obviously, in the last couple of years, many people have been running really hard whitewater in the half-slice designs. And it's been a good and a big learning curve. I remember first back in 2017, 18, back in 2018, Brennan and myself for the first time took out the Ripper and the Rexy to Norway and made a video we called bringing knives to a gunfight because that's exactly what it felt like. Um, we ran basically all the same rivers we would always run in the creekers the years before. Now finding ourselves in half slices, it was definitely a totally different game. And yeah, <laughs> carnage was dished out, good lines were had, and lots of learnings happened. Um, running whitewater in a half slice doesn't always mean it's harder than in a full-size creeker. Actually, very often it's way easier to put your boat back on track in a half slice because you can just sweep the stern and make corrections that way rather than having to pull like a, a backstroke or something in a creek boat where the big stern might block you. And also one of the, my favorite feelings in kayaking is that type of wheelie when you just have your stern slightly engaged, your nose is up and you're just bouncing and pushing through all the features in front of you, keeping your bow dry and, and moving forwards. At the same time, creek boats fully have a reason why they exist and it's not like you will never use them again um, for me i like to use creek boats when it comes to big waterfalls because i want to make sure my stern doesn't get eaten at the top of the waterfall and i involuntarily end up boofing it and definitely multi-days also there learnings were done i remember a trip to megalaya when i took the rexy out 
because I thought the white water looked amazing for a half slice, which in theory it would, but the only part I didn't think about <laughs> was the fact that it's multi-days and you have to load your kayak. And by that point, the Rexy did not work as it's intended to. Um, so for me, I use creek boats for waterfalls, for multi-days and for really, really big white water when I just don't want any any question marks or issues to deal with, with my stern being eaten, my kayak being swallowed. Um, that's when I like to use a creek boat. Saying that, honestly, at the moment for about 85% of my kayaking, I feel super comfortable in my half slice, the Zion Slalom. Um, I love that kayak. I love the design. It just feels like I'm connected to the river in a different way. I'm able to use currents very differently, um, which also means you kind of have to change the style of kayaking. Many times you would booth different, you would have a different body position, you would run not over everything, but rather go around and use curlers more because you can't just bash through anything. So the way your kayak definitely changes when you're using a half slice, but the feeling is so rewarding and it feels so much more reactive and impulsive and connected to the water in a very special way that I personally love it. And at the moment, I really, really like to spend a lot of time in my half slice saying that with new designs coming out, it's also super cool to jump back into a creek boat and then feel like you have unlocked a cheat code because all of a sudden you have so much more kayak around you to like save you um, and keep you online, even though maybe not always your strokes are perfect or the line is like perfect. Um, there's just way, way more room for error in a creek boat versus a half slice. But you do lose a little bit of that agility and maneuverability of a half slice in white water. Another question we got asked quite a bit and which is honestly a bit tricky to answer is the question of how to maintain such a lifestyle of traveling the world pretty much full year, going kayaking full time and making it seem like it's effortlessly on the World Wide Web. But trust me, it's not. Um, obviously, it was a long way until I could fund myself fully from kayaking. It's been many years working on the building sites, at doors at night, soldering platines, delivering packages, whatever just came up. I, I did it to pay for my next kayaking trip. And I'm really thankful for this experience. At the same time, I'm very stoked. I don't have to do it anymore. And after six years of doing that, I saw my first money ever from kayaking, which was very small, but you know, it doesn't matter. It was a step in the right direction. And then from there on, things obviously grew and became better and bigger. And nowadays, I'm very happy and also quite proud to say that I'm a full-time kayaker and I'm able to maintain myself by just going kayaking and everything included. But that's exactly the big but, everything included. Um, if you think we're just out there kayaking every day and, and getting paid for it, that's not quite the truth. Obviously, there's many, many hours spent in front of the computer, making sure we get these edits out to you, getting the podcast done, planning projects, looking and speaking with sponsors, um, calculating, scouting. Um, there's so much work on the back end you might not see on the social, but it's definitely happening. And then also so many other like things which come up through kayaking, which in the end of the day pay the bills, whether that's being a stuntman in water action or being a public speaker, doing talks about risk management influenced by kayaking, um, developing new products with, with partners for kayaking. So there's a lot of things going around which have to do something with kayaking, but they still work. Um, so basically... Of course, I'm aware of this, like you don't see all the work going on in the background in order to maintain such a lifestyle, but it's definitely happening. And I think it's okay. It's just part of the game. 
and we're still able to get in so much time on the water, which I'm really, really thankful for. And I always use my measurement of if 12-year-old Adrian would know what 28-year-old Adrian would be up to nowadays, that would be literally best case scenario. So I'm very happy with the current situation. I'm very aware of it, that it's a special situation and I'm really grateful for it. But it's definitely not just kayaking around and not doing anything else. It's days are long, nights are longer, deadlines are there, projects are there. There's many, many, many different things ongoing at the same time. You have to organize yourself, structure yourself. It is like running your own business because that's what it is. I'm self-employed, you know, I'm responsible for myself. I pay my taxes. I do all this grown-up bullshit, but I have to do it. And it's part of the game. And that's ultimately what enables me to go kayaking as much as possible. So for me, that's all right. I hope to have answered that question uh, enough. And yeah, let's move onwards. Another one, what got you into kayaking? I quite like that story. Obviously, that's a question I get asked a lot. So I have thought about this my fair share. Um, so basically, I believe I ended up in kayaking because my dad had a midlife crisis, meaning um, divorced my mom, moved to the city center, bought a really fast motorbike and picked up an action sport, which happened to be whitewater kayaking. And I just kind of tagged along as like an eight, nine year old kid. Uh, I moved with my dad to town, went in the kayak and checked it out. And I got to say, it wasn't really love at first sight. When you're young, you go to these rivers with like really shitty equipment. It's cold, it's loud, it's impressive. Doesn't necessarily feel like home or safe by any means. But uh, yeah, I kind of tagged along with my dad did some really easy white water around my town and it was nice. It was a good time. But then after like one or two years of paddling class, class one, I actually ended up underneath a tree in my kayak and I couldn't free myself, which was a very scary situation. And luckily my father somehow mangled me out of that tree and rolled me back up. But I really truly remember as a Young kid seeing my life flash past my eyes like in the movies and I was shocked how short that movie was. Um, so yeah, it wasn't fun by any means, but yeah, luckily got out, everything went well. But then as you can imagine afterwards, really didn't want to do anything with kayaking and was not turned on by the sport by any means. And I got to say a big thank you to my dad and his friends here because with a very good mix from like pushing and pulling, they kind of kept me in the sport, meaning they would like try to make me come to the to kayaking and go paddling on the rivers be like hey come on you should join later but when they realized i really wouldn't want to they would also accept that be like okay fine we'll try again next time so that was maybe a state of a year year and a half of where i really didn't want to go kayaking for myself but kind of went with my dad sometimes but was always very scared and never really had that much fun doing it myself and then Eventually, like a year, year and a half after that accident, I ended up in Hunique, is a whitewater course in the in the border of Germany, France, and Switzerland. Um, it's a really nice whitewater course, class two, class three, kind of natural build. And I was kayaking there and kind of first started trusting my kayaking skills again and actually started enjoying kayaking. And best way I can describe it, there somewhat that flame of, of passion of kayaking kind of was lit again. And it's been burning strong and stronger every day since. So from then on, I started to kayak more, got into freestyle really quickly because you're a kid, you're young, you fit small kayaks, which happen to be freestyle kayaks. And then I went freestyle kayaking quite a bit throughout Germany with people of my age, maybe a little bit older. 
always been creaking on the side, but my focus was definitely on freestyle because it was easy, accessible, and I had fine condom group to go with. By the time I turned 15 years old, or just before I turned 15 years old, I remember it was summer vacation 2010, uh, my friends who by that point were like 17 and 18 got the motor home from their parents and invited me to come along on a four-week or five-week road trip through the Alps to go creaking. And that was like the first trip when I went by myself with my friends to go kayaking and it was amazing. Um, I loved that trip so much because obviously it was the first one. I had no idea about no nothing. I was young. I was in a diesel 65 going kayaking with my friends and it was amazing. It first showed me the possibility of what kayaking all includes. The time on the water, obviously, but also the shit talking, the hanging out, uh, the lifestyle, everything was was happening in there and I loved it so much. And again, props to my dad that he let me go for a month, just like let me roll with these youngsters and we were exploring the Alps, going kayaking. And that's where I first did like all the classics, checking out the Ötzwelli for the first time. I remember being very turned off by it because it was cold and rainy and scary looking river. And yeah, how the irony of life works. I remember myself telling, ah, I don't want to come back here. Now I live kind of close to the river because the existence of that river. But I guess that's how it goes. <laughs> and then, yeah, from then on, I was really hooked on it. Spent all my time going kayaking when possible. Um, still mostly freestyle, always a creek trip here and there. Um, by the time I was 18, I went to Nantehala for World Championships. At my last year as a junior, that was also my first trip abroad. And then we spent six weeks there. But I remember being really turned off about the amount of time you would spend on the water because there was dam releases, so the river wasn't running all day and all night. You had your slots for your nations, and then you had a lot of people on the water during that time. So really, I didn't get to spend that much time on water in my kayak as I was hoping for given the fact I spent all my money and all my time to fly over to the States to go kayaking. And that's when I ended up on the Green River Narrows. Um, those are kind of close to the Nantahala Auto Center. And I kind of rented the creek boat from the shop there, drove with friends to the, to the Green. That's also where I went kayaking with Brent for the first time properly and ran the Green, Green River Narrows for the first time. And I remember loving it. I felt really at home. I felt way more free and in my zone compared to freestyle kayaking. So from then on, my decision was just made that this is what I want to do. I want to go creaking as much as possible. I love this. I need to do as much as possible of this. And that's exactly what I did. Still ended up finishing freestyle world championships. Did okay, nothing groundbreaking by any means, somewhere in the 20s. Um, but that didn't matter. I had found my spot. I knew I wanted to go creaking. And from then on, I shifted all my focus into creaking, shortly followed after by my first international creaking trip to Chile. And uh, yeah, just kept the ball rolling from then on. The last question I want to get into today is another one which some people were asking is how to plan a big expedition. And that's definitely an interesting one because right now I'm in the midst of it, can't really talk about much, but we are going into wild places relatively soon. And uh, yeah, planning big expeditions is kind of like a always on mode. Like I'm always looking for hints and and possibilities on social media, for example, you know. Nowadays, you see so many pictures of waterfalls on Instagram, on Twitter, or anywhere in the World Wide Web, in movie scenes. Um, and when they look interesting, then I start to dig deeper. Where is that place? What's going on? What's around? Like, is there ever enough water? What does it look like? So basically, I'm always looking for inspiration left and right, wherever it comes from. It can be from stories from friends, stories from local people when you're in a 
country from far away, again, pictures from social media, scouting on Google Earth. There's many, many ways to find possible interesting locations. And then it's all about entering the rabbit hole and digging deeper, trying to find more information about these places and then eventually like coming up with a plan. Um, it's a very cool process and a very interesting one. I quite like it because it always means you're you're putting so much time into this, such a small topic in such a random location at most times and you're learning all these side facts and small things you would otherwise never, ever even hear about. And I quite love that. So let's say you have found your location, uh, whether that's a river or a waterfall or an entire area, and you want to go check it out and, and see for yourself what's going on. Then it's all about determining what time of the year is best. There's many reasons why there is a right flow. Uh, it can be snow melt, glacier melt, rain, uh, dam releases. So it's kind of up to you to find out how much water you would want in the region and where that water would come from. Rule of thumb, and generally speaking, most places you go to for kayaking, you go in the rainy season, monsoon season, or snowmelt. So once you have that figured out, you know where you want to go and at what time you want to go, then it comes down to trying to find contact around there. Um, from my experience, I can definitely say that trying to link up with locals is always by far the best option because as always, locals know best. These connections are worth so much because things which seem solvable effortlessly by these guys can give you a lot of headache if you don't know the right people, if you don't speak the language, if you're very obviously an alien person and not from around wherever you're going. So trying to look for kayakers or outdoor people around that region works in many different ways. Of course, you can use your social media network, ask friends of friends on Instagram, see who's around there, look for rafting companies around. That's always a good one or try to look for at least close by hotspots of kayaking and then dig, start digging there, see if you know anybody who might know somebody to eventually uh, find a person of interest for that certain region. Truth is, you're not always going to be able to do that when you're sitting in front of your computer abroad, um, but that's okay. That's also part of the game. As so many often and so many times, it's mostly all about just going and figuring it out. Um, if you go do an expedition, it's definitely a different expectation needs to be had compared to like going on a joy kayaking trip to Norway or BC. Like you will spend way more time in a car and haggling around than eventually you're going to be on the river. But that's just part of an expedition and not all expeditions you're going to go to are going to be successful. I remember us going to Indonesia, Java in 2020, expecting us to run countless big waterfalls and just have the best times of our lives. And then we kind of got screwed and all we did was ended up running like 180 footer and a couple like class four rivers. And that was it just because it didn't work out. And that's, that's normal. If expeditions would always work out, it wouldn't be the same. The feeling of getting rewarded by an expedition wouldn't be the same. And it's just totally normal to get screwed over in expeditions. So the next step would be to find your ways of transportation. That could be public buses. That could be a rental car. That could be taxis. There's many different ways to go about this. I usually try to find my own transport if possible. Uh, many countries, especially Africa, seem to be always coming in a package of car plus driver, which is nice because immediately it eliminates the need for a shuttle driver or a shuttle car uh, because you're going to have a driver who's going to be with your car at all times. So he's also going to take care of your stuff and your belongings in there. So topics like break-ins aren't as as bad as if you just had your car by yourself and you leave that alone for 
hours or days at a time. Um, so that's quite nice. Um, so yeah, you're going to figure out your transportation and then you're just going to go and book your flights. That's always like a scary step, like the final commitment of spending all that money on a flight to a country you've never been to, you haven't heard much about. Um, but you got to go risk it in order to like, you know, achieve something and just part of the game. So you're going to go book your flights. Then you're going to prepare as good as possible in front. Of course, you're going to check out like, where are you going? What's the landscape like? What do you need to prepare for? How about wildlife? How about illnesses? Is there malaria? Are there crocodiles? Is there hippos? How about dengue? If you're trying to put all the the risk factors into account and you don't need to fully control everything. That's impossible, but it's very important to have an overview of what you're getting yourself into and then dealing with it as good as possible. Um, that's definitely a time-consuming thing and not very straightforward. Very often it just means like you're scrolling around on the web and you're reading and you're reading and you're reading and there's no news, no nothing. Eventually you find an article or like a website or a video even um, with so much information you were just looking for and then you have like a huge amount of info again. And then again, you will spend hours researching, finding nothing worthwhile your time and then all of a sudden again, you find that one article you just needed. Um, so it just means that you're going to invest time into your project and you're constantly thinking about it, investing investing into it and making sure you just know all the factors you're dealing with. And then also be totally aware of the fact that you're going to get there and it's still going to be different. That's just That's just how it goes and that's beautiful because what's going to be needed most is basically problem solving on the spot. You're going to talk to people, you're going to deal with situations and you're going to figure it out. So by the time you have your flights booked, you have researched your area, you have a rental car or you have a driver or maybe even have a contact, it's, it's all about entering the plane, getting yourself over there and then figuring it out. Um, don't be disencouraged if you don't find somebody in that area who might know something about kayaking or the rivers at all. Very often you go there and then kind of like you talk to some people, you just drive to the location and often there will be people who have knowledge about the river you would have no way to get in touch before. That could be local fishermen, that could be just locals, that could be tourist guides, officials. There's so many reasons why people know about a certain river or river feature, which you wouldn't think about straight before. So don't be disencouraged by that. Just go and talk to people. Honestly, it's it's very cool to get into exchange with different cultures because everybody's going to be interested in what you're going to do there, dragging these wild-looking plastic things around in the jungle or in, over the mountains. I've never seen that before, probably. And they're trying to understand what you're doing there and why you're doing it. And it's it's definitely opening up possibilities for very cool cultural exchanges and experiences. So just enjoy that part of the expedition just as well because it's not just all about the time on the river. It's it's the full experience. It's it's the struggle. It's the it's the dealing with unknown situations. It's meeting new people. It's learning new things. It's exchanging knowledge. Um, it all plays into the reward of why an expedition is so good. And very often you will do a trip on an expedition, and the kayaking wasn't maybe top notch, but taking everything into account, it still was an amazing time and an amazing trip, and you wouldn't want to miss it by any means. So yeah. I love going on expeditions. It's something I have a lot of passion for. I'm constantly looking for new places, new projects. And it's just honestly something 
kayaking has given me, which no other sport has done before. And that's such a big reason why I love kayaking, because it ultimately enables me to go new places. Maybe nobody has ever been before and check that place out by kayak. At the same time, I get to, I get to meet the coolest people, learn the raddest stuff and just have a great time all around doing it. So yeah, I'm all for expeditions, as you can maybe tell. <laughs> there are a lot more questions in my inbox, but I feel like those are the most frequently asked ones. And I will definitely do another episode of, of questions answered. Um, for now, I will leave it at that. For next week, I hope to have Brent back on the podcast. By that time, he will be hopefully set up in Futalefu with a beautiful Starlink running and his Wi-Fi being faster than ever. I'm just starting now my last week here in Zambia. Bootcamp has been going great. I've been kayaking every day, going to the gym and just making sure I'm in the best shape ever because as we just spoke about big expedition, something big is on the horizon. Can't talk about it much, but January time is going to be wild. Also, speaking of wild, if you are listening to this on Thursday, the 7th of December, tomorrow is going to be wild. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel we have something really cool dropping. Can't wait to show this to you guys. It's been a long time in the making. So yeah, give that a watch. Let us know how you like it. And until then, I hope to catch you guys on the river somewhere around. I hope everybody is shredding, staying safe, staying fit. We are in full winter mode right now in Europe. I feared I think my car is under one meter of snow, but that's all right. Um, that's a problem for next week. So thank you very much for listening. As always, all feedback is highly appreciated. Please just fire us a message on Instagram, Wet and Dry Kayaking Podcast, and we're going to make sure to involve that and include that into our future episodes. Thank you very much, and see you in the next one. Cheer, cheer.